the books were opened. The title of the lesson this morning, as you perhaps have already seen in the bulletin, and the reading that Brother Joy just read a moment ago, taken from the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation. In fact, as we come this morning to this final Sunday in the year of 2014, the final Sunday morning lesson, if you please, the opportunity to reflect a bit upon the nature of this calendar year, and also, of course, with a bit of expectation to look with some anticipation to what shall be before us in 2015 by the very greatness and the blessing of God. We're so thankful for the presence of each and every one, our membership, our visitors alike. It's our desire always to worship in spirit and in truth and to follow those which are the explicit instructions given by God for that purpose. At this point, perhaps one final slide, at least in this whole series that you and I have been in for this calendar year. A year ago now it was, we said before ourselves to read through the Bible this year and each one of the sermons on Sunday, both morning and evening, would be drawn from the passages that were stated for our reading the previous week. Right now we're reading in Revelation in the New Testament, Malachi in the Old. And so tonight's lesson will be taken from the final book of the Old Testament. But for this morning, one last lesson concerning this book of Revelation. You'll notice on that slide just a few thoughts. The Scriptures themselves, some 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. And as we have journeyed through them this year, we have woven together a remarkable story. A consideration about God's providential love extended from the days of Genesis until today, and yea, shall last until time shall be no more. And even, of course, following that in the portals of heaven and all the sweetness for the saved, as you can see on that slide in addition, it being the case, today is the final Sunday morning of the year. It doesn't at all seem inappropriate to make some statements that are a bit obvious. So many changes in the year 2014. There have been those that, of course, have recognized changes immensely in families. Births have taken place, and we understand celebrations by virtue of graduations, educational achievements, and otherwise. And there's also been changes by way of death. Loved ones have passed on, other changes by way of professions, careers, or otherwise. All of that, of course, highlights there's also been changes in our spiritual family here at the Pippin Congregation. There have been those that have placed their membership with us. They've come our way. There have also been others who've chosen to attend elsewhere. They have chosen to depart from us. All of those just highlight a few of the things that you and I will study, at least reflection upon a bit here this morning. You'll notice furthermore on that slide. As we think then about reflecting on the year of 2014, we know enough from the Word of God that we are not just to live in the past. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus to borrow the language of Philippians 3.14. And though we know that as 2015 is before us with God's blessing, starting on Thursday of this week, we know well that so many opportunities and potential and possibility awaits. I hope this lesson will serve two purposes, to reflect at least a moment upon this year, but to look forward to the next. As we do that, why don't we then start the lesson with some of these comments, if we might. On this slide that's now before us, let's just rehearse briefly some of the matters in which you and I participated as members of this Pippin Church of Christ. In the calendar year 2014 A.D., you might appreciate that we have collectively met 210 times for Bible study and worship. 
all of those times from the first Sunday in January even until this coming Wednesday, opportunities to assemble and to gather, and you and I can appreciate in that the carrying out of those commandments so very powerful in the Word of God. When Paul in Acts 20 verse 7 met with the brethren in Troas, it seems with such heightened expectation they met to partake of the Lord's Supper. And we remember how often passages like the following challenge us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but to exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10 verse 25. So as we come together in all those times we've encouraged, we've exhorted one another, You'll notice in addition to all of that, we have sung together approximately 1,000 songs. A thousand songs we have sung on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. The appreciation of lifting up our voices together in that manner and in that way. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord the melody that we've made, the truths that have been expressed in the words of those songs, some marvelous messages to be sure. All of that leads us to note perhaps the next one as well. You and I have prayed collectively together in prayer, as you can see, approximately 600 times. Now those are just in the assemblies themselves. 600 times we have made appeal to the throne of God recognizing the boldness with which we were able to make that appeal. Hebrews 4.16 still reads, Let us therefore come bold into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in every time of need. The boldness characteristic of our appeal to God is always tempered, of course, with a desire to pray according to His will. 600 times we've petitioned for our health. We've petitioned for the welfare of our nation. We've petitioned for the benefit of our congregation. What sweet considerations to think we've prayed in that way. Not only in terms of song and prayer. Another aspect of our service to God, of course, involves the financial aspects of the contribution. This congregation in the calendar year 2014, has contributed well over $141,000 to the work of the Lord. That, of course, is no minor matter in change, is it? It is an amount of funding sufficient to assist us as we labor in this community, and yea, wherever the banner of God's love and gospel allows to take it. As you can see, that's an increase of about 2.2% over last year. Hasn't God been good to us? And the consideration of the free will offerings of you and I as a congregation, we trust that that funding can be directed into an appropriate place and in a way to glorify His cause. I've listed for you some of the ways that God has been so good over recent years and the increases that are listed on that slide. Doesn't it remind us of that commandment that touches that very attribute and attitude? Let each of you... Lay by him in store on the first day of the week as God has prospered him. 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 2. As you and I think about those considerations of attendance and song and prayer in our contribution, what about that other aspect of our striving to understand better the nature of God's Word itself? 158 sermons and devotionals have been considered in this year. The sum total of that is a roughly 67 hours of Bible instruction, just by way of sermon and, of course, devotions themselves. 
isn't it remarkable to give thought to how much time taken together that appears to be? However, extend it like this. You'll notice there's been 104 Bible study periods, counting Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings, totaling about 61 hours. Adding those two together, as you can well tell, we're now looking at almost 130 hours of biblical instruction opportunities to come with greatness to the instruction that God has provided. May I suggest, at least in terms of comparison, that's the equivalent of about three one-semester university-level classes. Sufficient biblical instruction in many ways to enrich us, to challenge us, to move us in the direction that God would have us to be. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 Isn't it still true that those in the city of Berea were so highly complimented in Acts 17.11? These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. It might well be, in light of those observations, a summary numerically of those attributes of our worship and Bible study periods this year. I've listed a number of other verses along the line of admonishing us toward preaching the Word and making sure that that is our prime concern. As we transition to the next slide, you'll notice that some additional comments certainly are worthwhile and certainly seem appropriate those classroom periods in which we have Bible study periods. We appreciate the preparation of those who teach, and we appreciate the influence that they are able to have not only over our understanding, but our application as well of that wonderful Word of God. Following that, you might notice on the slide, at least this calendar year, we can say again, we have journeyed all the way through the Bible, and I trust that we perhaps have appreciated more keenly the way in which the Scriptures merge together into one cohesive unit, reminding us that God wrote it. It is one continuing thread from Genesis to Revelation. At this point, notice these interesting successes for which we, of course, celebrate. Eleven precious souls confessed error and were restored to faithfulness in the church. Three individuals were baptized into the blessed body of Christ. As we celebrate and rejoice over responses like that, untold perhaps are the individual personal responses in which individuals chose to change lives, change attitudes, change manners of speaking or otherwise. God's Word is that powerful, isn't it? As you think about those with me, consider other matters that this congregation has sponsored, encouraged, and supported. I've chosen to list these as well that we typically mention in our bulletin on a regular basis. The radio programs. The Lord's Word is a radio program that airs six days a week, Monday to Saturday, at roughly 10 after 10 on WLIV AM 920 Radio out of Livingston. We sponsor every Tuesday's program. As you tally up the number of hours, that comes to roughly 13 hours of Bible instruction in the year 2014. How many individuals heard those lessons? How many were prompted to understand God's truth? Perhaps only eternity will tell the answer to that question. But we're thankful that God has allowed us to participate and be able to engage in that kind of work. To that we might add the other radio program that this congregation sponsors, WHUB. 
1400, of course, in Cookville. We sponsor the program that airs each first Sunday of the month. It's called A Challenge to Think. As we do that, it, we've tallied around five hours of Bible instruction. And again, we trust that those messages were received by many. The truth was shared. Lists like that one per, could perhaps be extended significantly. In the time that we have, I chose to list a few of these additional works that this congregation sponsors. Just to give us a reminder about the places around the world that our church, our congregation, is blessed to be able to assist in the work of the gospel. You'll notice quickly, here in the United States, not only in this peeping community of Putnam County, we sponsor the Broad Street Congregation, the Clinton Congregation, as well as the Mountain View Congregation in Tennessee and North Carolina. As we sponsor them, sometimes those congregations are in very difficult circumstances in the sense that Small in number and almost overwhelmed, but nonetheless, they're faithful. And we're honored to be able to encourage them and edify them in their work. To them, we might add the preaching the gospel. Perhaps we're well aware James Watkins once was the primary spokesman, but now it's Cliff Goodwin. But that program is the way it airs on GBN, carries the truth of the gospel to so many individuals. We're honored to be able to sponsor and encourage that work. To those, we might add, the work in Africa. Under the work of Ron Gilbert and his companions who journey there at least once, if not twice in the year, and recently he shared with us some successes about that recent trip to Zambia. In addition to Ron's work, there's Curry Montague and his steadfastness in the nation of Hungary there in Eastern Europe. As you think about that country and the labors that often can make matters difficult, we continue to be very thankful that we can support Curry in that effort. I would close that by mentioning Jack Honeycutt. We, of course, have sponsored their work in India and have continued to do so, and we're delighted to be able to see the success that comes out of those efforts. All the while, as you give thought to all of those things, we can even include Restoration Radio Network. Seemingly, in so many different countries, that network broadcasts the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it does so with a rather small group of dedicated individuals, and we're thankful that, we, again, we could have a somewhat small part in it. Many times we have appreciated the reality of benevolence, both here and, and, and even abroad. In Galatians 6, verse 10, we're told on that occasion to do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. As those matters of benevolence perhaps lead us to think about our own consideration and our own faithfulness. Numbers certainly don't tell the entirety of the story, but they are something for at least some consideration. Our average attendance in 2014 is less than it was in 2013 by a bit over 2%. 99.3 last year. This current year, average attendance on Sunday morning worship was 97. As you and I think about the nature of 97 souls on average present, we can again give thought to the opportunity for faithful and true worship, and we can certainly ask, what about the considerations that touch the nature of that reduction? mentioned earlier that there have been some chosen not to continue to be with us. They've placed their membership elsewhere. Certainly that's a portion or at least some understanding of that reduction. 
you'll notice it's still, though, significantly increased over many years past. Numbers. Sometimes they are challenging in the sense that notice what else is also there. Our Sunday morning Bible study, 3% less attendance this year than last. The Sunday night worship, 4.6% reduction over last. Wednesday night Bible study, almost 6% fewer this year than last. What about your faithfulness and mine? Are we as dedicated in the attendance of these services as we ought to be? There's coming a day which we'll use to close our lesson this morning in which the very nature of that judgment will be before us. How will you and I answer for failing to attend when we could? How, what will we say in response to the integrity and to the greatness of what the Lord did for us? As you look at all of those things, you'll notice first Sunday in May this year, we hosted a gospel meeting that ran through Wednesday. The speakers, John Mayberry and Jack Honeycutt, well attended in terms of that meeting and many powerful comments and lessons shared. At the bottom, we have done some work on improving our building. Those improvements perhaps help us to remember. We do maintain a presence on the World Wide Web. Anywhere in the world, a person with a computer or at least some kind of access to the Internet can give thought to the nature of what this congregation supports. One by one, as you look at all those things, many other matters might well have been mentioned. A brief synopsis at best. What about your part in it and mine? As we anticipate the coming year, 2014 is just now almost a part of history. There isn't much now we can change relative to it, but we can make preparation for the year that's ahead. As we do that, why don't we then turn our attention to the following. That text that was read earlier. I thought these comments would certainly be an interesting way to focus the spotlight, to look with some detail at that passage that was read in our hearing earlier. Please revisit Revelation 20 with me. As we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 20, we now come to an amazing section of the Word of God, filled with such great fear on the one hand, but such great comfort and blessing on the other. In fact, as one makes the journey through the entirety of the Bible, and particularly through the book of Revelation itself, we find a number of entities that should really strike a great deal of fear and concern. We've seen the dragon and we've seen the beasts rise out of the sea and off the land. We've given appreciation to the plagues and the vials and the bowls. And they've brought often great wrath and hardship and difficulty and evil. However, as we arrive at verse number 10 of Revelation 20, the following statement is found. And I would invite you to notice that it says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That dragon that comes before us in chapter number 12 is identified as the devil and now we see his end in the sense that we see his final abode and destination. He, the dragon, the devil, is cast into the lake of brimstone and fire and there he shall be tormented forever and ever. But you might notice along with him are the false prophet. And as that verse quickly mentions, also the beasts. In light of that observation, notice immediately what follows. 
Here we have this great deceiver, this one who is the great adversary of God and the enemy of those that would serve God. And he alone, and he along with those that are his followers, are cast into this lake burning with brimstone and fire. You might now ask, so what follows that observation? What description comes next? Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Remember, the devil has been taken care of. What remains is now an appreciation about this one, a great white throne. There's one sitting on the throne. Of course, the fact it's great reminds us of the finality of this scene in judgment. The fact it's white reminds us of the innocence and purity of that which is his proclamation. Nothing improper will be decreed at judgment. It will be fair. It will be equitable. It will be in accordance to the justice and judgment of God. It quickly then affirms in verse 11, in terms of the earth and the heaven, it says they fled away. We don't look for a physical abode in a physical realm. Though some in the human family preach as though they do search for that, the Bible knows nothing of it. But the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night, in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Peter's mighty proclamation of 2 Peter 3.10. As you and I appreciate that this earth and the heaven fled away, these are not the final abodes of the faithful or anybody else. We appreciate that the heaven under description there is that local atmosphere to earth and the nature of this cosmos. Verse number 12 then takes it up like this. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. The devil is now no longer in the picture, but we appreciate that everyone, small and great, stand before the God of heaven in judgment. There we find the motivation for all those works that, that I've mentioned earlier. What has this congregation done in this year? It's been prompted by and motivated by the understanding that there is coming a moment of judgment. Will I be ready for it and shall you be ready for it? Will this as a congregation be prepared for that reality of judgment? In Philippians 4.19, mention is made of the account of the church at Philippi. That church had an account. And we, it wasn't referring to money. The Pippin congregation has an account. Are we building appropriate assets in that account from the perspective of eternity? Verse number 12 goes on to say, The dead, small and great, stand before God. When Jesus made His description about that judgment, He specifically said in Matthew 25, 32, that all nations shall be gathered. There won't be anyone exempted. No one will be absent. No one can avoid it. As that judgment is described further, it says, the books were opened. The books were opened. You and I know well that when it comes to the reality of judgment, judges, we expect to have studied the law of the land. We expect that if they have questions, they can go to a source book and open and study and make proper decrees. And so it is on the day of judgment, the books shall be opened. Verse number 12 describes it like this. These books, verse number 12 goes on to say, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. 
We can appreciate then that the record of the thoughts and the deeds, the words, the intents, the things that were characteristic of the lives of every individual, if unforgiven, will be made mention of on that occasion. That's what's in some of these books, apparently. And you could appreciate in light of that that, of course, there is a standard of judgment as well by which the decree shall be made. There was a patriarchal era in time. People like Noah and Abraham lived in that age. And then there's a Mosaic era in time in which people you and I know like David and Zechariah and a whole host of others. And then, of course, there's the Christian era of today. You and I live this side of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the law. Didn't Jesus say in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We know then that this Holy Bible will of course be one of those books that bring to bear the thoroughness of that day. Again, that's why we use the Scriptures with its proper authority to guide us in that which we do and that which we stand for, the truth that we proclaim. We aren't interested in our thoughts and our philosophies, for those won't save ourselves or anybody else. We here also appreciate that that in which we do in the coming year, we expect it to be motivated and prompted by a desire to be made ready for that judgment. Worshiping in spirit and in truth on those occasions we gather, John 4, 24. Striving to be a congregation that is the pillar and ground of the truth, borrowing the language of 1 Timothy 3, 15. As we look forward to those kind of matters, very little in, in general is left to be said, but why don't we at least ask it like this? If you had the opportunity to just take an anonymous sheet, what do you wish for the coming year? for this congregation? What about for yourself personally? Any visions, plans, or goals that you might wish to implement for the betterment of your service to the Lord? I've listed just a few things, of course, in a general fashion for our congregation, but certainly these apply very much also in an individual way. We are admonished, are we not, to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That statement found in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. That growth perhaps highlighted by that marvelous description of the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, where it says on that occasion, Your faith groweth exceedingly. What a great compliment to that congregation. May you and I then inquire as to the foundational character of what we understand Jesus expects His church to be. We know that the church, it seems, has ever had its tumultuous times. Individuals wish to change her worship, change what she stands for, change everything from her name to the very nature of her character. But Jesus is the master and the head. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence, Colossians 3, Colossians 1, rather, verse 18. You and I then hold high the banner of His last will and declaration. We wish to, in fact, do all things by the banner of His authority. For whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him, Colossians 3, verse 17. With all those things at least set before us in general, what about some of the next considerations of individual priorities? 
we are admonished, are we not? To ever keep our eyes fixed upon the final abode and the faithfulness that demands our case in terms of appreciating it. May we not allow ourselves to slide off onto tangents, following selfish, personal, arrogant ambitions, and at least leaving service to God in the background, for that wouldn't be wise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all thy paths, and He shall direct thy ways. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. As Solomon in the ancient era made a statement like that one, we well remember Solomon came to make a mistake. The time came he himself slid aside from faithfulness. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 and following highlight Solomon's mistakes. May you and I be wiser than he. As you come near the close of that slide that's before you, you realize that this coming year, of course, at this point, is still in the future, but it should be reality by God's blessing very soon. I trust that as we at the Pippin congregation intend to hold forth the glorious light of God's goodness, that we, like Jesus himself demanded, could be like that city set on a hill, a light over which one does not put a bushel to cover it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And that it might well be said of us, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 16. With those kinds of comments and those kinds of statements before us, reflecting somewhat on this year, but also anticipating the next, it is entirely safe to say that it takes us right back to Revelation 20, 21, and 22. Because after all, perhaps it would do us well to close our journey through the New Testament at least by at least highlighting a quick consideration of chapters 21 and 22. You may notice that this mention that's before us in Revelation 20, the text that was read earlier, made description of that great white throne judgment and everyone will be there and be judged according to their works. However, you may notice that perhaps verses 13 to 15 is where we should now focus the attention. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And finally, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You might notice that there was another book referenced in verse 12. And earlier we didn't give any attention to that one, but perhaps the time has come. In addition to those books like the Scriptures and like a record of the unforgiven deeds of man, Verse 12 also mentions another book was the book of life. It is a book in which we find the names of those who are not cast into the lake of fire. It is a book in which we find the names of those who are faithful and obedient to the Lord. It's a book, of course, in which we strongly desire our names to be present. As you turn the next page and then start to read in chapters 21 and 22, you find that that great city came out of heaven, descriptive of that glorious consideration of the faithful of God. And they are admitted into a place where there is no crying, no pain, no sorrow, nothing that defiles or departs, and there's no curse either. And as they are entered or at least admitted into this place, 
it is a glorious place of eternal provision. For there's no need for the temple for the very Son of God Himself. And they're in the very presence of God. And there's no need for the light because such is the sun or the moon. For the Lord Jesus Christ is all the light that place will ever need. And then we read in chapter 22 verse 14 about the requirement for entrance into that place. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Doing of His commandments. They're the ones that are going to be allowed entrance to that glorious place, that marvelous place of eternal climb in which the sweetness and the dwelling with God forevermore shall be. Question, is your name in the book of life at this moment? Be honest, and I need to be the same. If it's not, eternity is too long and life here is too short to risk any, other, any additional moments with names not in that book. It may well be that there's someone in the audience that's never rendered initial obedience to the gospel. You are still encumbered in all the sins that you've ever committed, and they've never, not a one of them, have been forgiven. Those sins, you see, will be sufficient to condemn you evermore to hell because your name's not in the book of life. Why not make that right today? The gospel plan of salvation is such that you must believe with all of your heart that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. John 8, 24 says, You shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am He. However, that belief must be followed by actions based upon the nature of that belief. Namely, you must repent of those sins, understanding they've what separated you from God and that they are what drove the Savior to the cross. Upon repentance of them, you change your mind relative to them, intending to commit them no more. And then you confess audibly the greatness of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, following which you're baptized into Him. Baptized in such a way, of course, that your sins are washed away. If you haven't attended to that need, why not today? If you have, though, but haven't been faithful to that vocation and that calling, why not return in haste to the side of the one that died for you? Remember, those names, your name may once have been in the book of life, but there is an eraser on that pencil. The Lord can blot names out of that book, and to those that are unfaithful, their names are blotted out. Revelation 3, verse 5. If today we could help make sure that name is put back in, you need to believe again in the nature of the Christ, His ability to forgive. You need to repent of those sins and make confession of them and to beseech the prayers of brethren on your behalf, and we'd be happy to pray with you. If today we could be of help to anybody, may I suggest that 2014 is now about to close. 2015, by the blessing of God, is about to begin. No better way to begin it than in faithful service to the God of heaven. If we could help you today to put your name in that book of life, let us do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.